back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest is a proud dad and husband and grandpa. He's a heck of a golfer. Sometimes he tweets about that. He loves college football. Isn't afraid to criticize it, but loves talking about it as well. He is one of the great voices of Fox Sports, among others. And just today on his Twitter account, he honored one of his mentors in the broadcasting world. He has a fun story about how he crossed paths with the late, great Kurt Gowdy, who would have been 100 years old today. Tim Brando, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Magnificent, David, and thank you for noticing what I said about uh, uh, the great cowboy and Hall of Famer Kurt Gowdy. He was uh, he was a one-of-a-kind and uh, one of the one of the real legends and people that wrote the um, the unwritten uh, rules of, of how to broadcast TV uh, when when television came on the air and, and moved from radio. And uh, he played a remarkable role in my career. So thanks for noticing that. Absolutely. And as I share a couple things you wrote on your account, I hope you'll share a wonderful story about <laughs> how you first crossed paths personally with Kurt Gowdy, because that's just almost unbelievable. But I love how Timmy B, he outlines on his account, of course, there's some broadcasting advice. Every sport has its own glossary. Learn it. Uh, but it starts with life advice you learned from Kurt Gowdy. If you want it all, don't compromise family. And it was your family that was sort of the starting point for you and Kurt Gowdy, right? <laughs> it was. Um, my my uh, my mom and dad, you know, uh, it was a Catholic family, and uh, let's just say uh, the my sister's a little older than me by about six years, and uh, I'm nine years older than one brother, and I'm. 12 years older than another brother. And the, the one I'm 12 years older than came, uh, let's just say surprisingly. <laughs> as, as a guy from a Catholic family, I get where you're going with yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, the deal was my parents said, and my father was a broadcaster and a pioneer and I did high school football with him. And so he knew, uh, you know, how much I loved Kurt Gowdy and that I idolized him. And he, he said, okay, uh, here's the deal. If it's a little girl, Gigi, uh, Glenda Georgette, that's my, my sister. You you can name the, the little girl. If it happens to be a boy, Tim, you get to name the boy. Well, uh, Kurt, Kurt Gowdy was, I mean, that, that, we're going with Kurt, no yeah. doubt about it. All right, Kurt and, Brando, uh, yeah. Kurt Brando, and he, he's now a writer and journalist. Has uh, got his uh, master's at Tennessee. He, he inherited my father's uh, journalistic skills. He's been abroad. He worked in the UAE. He worked in Myanmar, the former Burma, and is now in Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, he he would have been probably 10 or 11 years old, I think, in 1982. And uh, I'm working in New Orleans at uh, WGSO doing a nightly talk show. And uh, the Final Four is coming to New Orleans in 82. Now, understand that uh, the boss at my radio station in Baton Rouge that preceded uh, my job at WGSO in New Orleans was a part of an independent ownership group that Kurt was a part of because he owned stations in uh, New England uh, as well as in West Palm Beach. You know, a, a good handful of stations. Okay. And in those days, mom and pop owned individual stations. Uh, people that you worked for that knew you were talented actually would help you try to get a better job. And, and the owner of the station, WIBR in Baton Rouge, knew Kurt really well. He also knew my dad, and he knew, 
you know, what path I was on. And I was uh, in 1979 working in Baton Rouge, and he was talking to Kurt about me even then and telling him about me. Well, I moved forward three years in 1982. The Final Four is coming to New Orleans. Kurt's going to do the, the, the Westwood One broadcast with Kaywood Ledford of the of the Final Four. Oh, yeah. And he's in the twilight of his career, but he's still very much involved. In, and he's heard my high school football play-by-play calls on cassette tapes. So, And he's still doing the American Sportsman. So the ABC radio people called my show and asked me would I like having Kurt Gowdy on. What do you think I said to that? Uh, please, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I get Kurt on. We do the show, and, of course, he knew how much I loved him and the backstory. And I said, uh, I said, Mr. Gowdy, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you call my my brother. He's home. He's about 11 years old. I want to get him. This is on a Friday night before the Saturday semifinals of the Final Four. And he's like, Tim, you you you're, you're, you really didn't do this. You did not. You did <laughs> not did. name your brother after me, right? That's what he said. So I said, I said, I got him on the phone, and I I told my brother, "This is your namesake <laughs> that's about to get on." And and Kurt, in talking with him, and my little brother dug it too. Um, tears came into his eyes. You know, it was he was overcome. So he says to me, he gives me a hug, and he says, "Listen, you and I are having breakfast in the morning." And uh, he's staying over at the Hyatt Regency next to the Superdome. So I go over Saturday, semifinals Saturday. He's got to work, you know, the, uh, with Kaywood, the two, the two games, including North Carolina, obviously, in one of them. Houston, Georgetown, uh, Carolina. Uh, th- that was the Final Four in, uh, in Louisville that year. And I get there at 8, 7.30 in the morning to meet him because he's got to leave and be there by a little afternoon. The game starts mid-afternoon. And, uh, I mean, we had like a three-and-a-half-hour breakfast, and he just told me everything. And uh, I became sort of a, uh, how how you put it, surrogate kid, maybe. Yeah. And we stayed in contact for the rest of his life, really, and as long as he was up and around. And at every Final Four, he used to do what I still do, and that's the NABC meetings. Um, and I, the champions dinner for all the different division winners, NAIA division two, division one, he used to do that at the final four. I do that now. And, um, he would come into every final four and we'd have Saturday breakfast, Saturday semifinals. We did it for about, uh, 12 straight years from about 82 to 94. And then he stopped traveling quite as much as he got older. And, uh, but we maintained contact all the way through. And his son, Kurt Jr., who was a Emmy Award-winning producer, actually uh, in my last year at ESPN produced me on the Little League World Series, and he now runs SNY in New York. And, uh, and Kurt Jr. knows all about the, the background of the story, too. So it was really, really cool to have someone that you idolized as a kid become uh, not just a mentor, but a... Um, not just a mentor for the business, but someone who helped me on my path uh, in life. You know, not just how to govern myself yep. on the air, but but off the air as well. Tim Brando joining us, Fox Sports on Twitter. He is at Tim Brando. You can find some of this honoring Kurt Gowdy on what have been would have been the late greats' 100th birthday today. Among the other life advice, 
Besides, <laughs> you, you want it all, don't compromise family. I like the next one, too. Be willing to prove you love this crazy business just as you love the sports that you cover. With that yep. in mind, uh, we know how much you love college football, even as you sometimes will criticize it. Uh, in the big picture, with so many of these teams having players report tomorrow, most of them start practice Friday. A few have already begun. When you hear Clemson and Alabama and then everybody else, uh, how many teams, how deep is the pool in your eyes of teams that at least belong on a similar pedestal or on the same tier as Nick Saban's Tide and Dabo Sweeney's Tigers? I don't think any deserve to be on the same pedestal yet. I think that there are maybe three or four teams that are challenging to get to that pedestal led by Georgia, um, and, and then I would say Oklahoma, Texas, uh, probably on the, on the periphery behind those, those two, but, but, but Texas could be uh, ruled out very, very quickly if LSU happens to, to beat them in yep. the opening, uh, and the, I believe that's week two uh, of the college football season. Uh, frankly, Clemson and Alabama are in a different stratosphere right now in terms of their level of success and the position on the podium, so to speak. Uh, we were at our seminar at Fox yesterday, uh, and we were the, the question did come up uh, in our group. Everybody that works in college football, we had our NFL seminar and our college seminar, but we separate uh, the actual meetings, and we have a couple of things together as well. And the question came up, do you take Clemson, Alabama, or the field in terms of mm. predicting who will be in the national championship? And the, the, we, we just did a, a raising of hands. And, and I, I would say Clemson and Alabama had about 65 to 70% of the room. Wow. Wow. Uh, and you, you can count me in that, you know, in that group that, that raised his hand. Uh, we, we, this is a great sport with a, lot of, with a lot of outstanding teams and a lot of talent. And, and it's not Clemson and Alabama's fault that we have a screwed-up format. It's not their fault. Uh, so I'm in no way trying to demean either one of them. But when the question comes up, is it good for college football to have these two teams uh, on, a, on a path to play again, is this good for the game? The answer to that is no, absolutely not, uh, at least in this format. Now, if the two are going to meet again, that's fine, but let's make it a little more difficult for them to meet again. Right now, uh, both of these conferences that they represent are still playing eight games in what is a very unbalanced and unfair, unstabilized uh, regular season scheduling system. Uh, Ohio State and the Big Ten has been shut out of the college football playoffs since they went to a nine-game schedule. Pac-12 has been out. Te you know, OU has gotten in with a nine-game schedule. Uh, but, but that's it. The Big Ten hasn't been in. So if you're the ACC and the SEC, why would you change? Clemson's got a very easy schedule because the conference is weak. The ACC is weak in college football. I'm sorry. I know they're launching a network, but this is not the year. <laughs> Clemson's the national champion. You can play that for all you want, but it's not a good year for ACC football. Uh, Alabama's non-conference schedule is once again uh, pathetic. And embarrassing. They should be ashamed of themselves. Playing an eight-game conference schedule with Tennessee as their guaranteed crossover and a far easier path than any of their brethren, like LSU or like Auburn, or like Georgia, for that matter. 
who plays Notre Dame at home. So you can just punch the ticket right now for both Clemson and Alabama. Even if those teams lose a game, David, they're yep. going to get in. Even if they lose a game, they're going to get in because it's all about branding and why the commissioners of these five conferences, men for whom I have tremendous respect, cannot step back and take a look at this and not see what a sham it is and how it is keeping college football from growing to the extent that it needs to. The college football playoff is not delivering what they said it would. This is year six, hopefully. Uh, they have contractually an opportunity to look at this with their rights holders at ESPN. Hopefully, after this season's playoff ratings uh, continue to sort of flatline at a certain level, not get close to NFL playoff numbers, hopefully ESPN will say, you know, guys, I don't think we're getting the bang for the buck. Well, and these schedules aren't going to change. So, David, the only way, because we're going to have unstable schedules no matter what, the only way to, to get – some fairness into this equation and to get the densely populated areas of the big 10 and, 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 and the countryside West of the Mississippi involved in this thing is to expand to eight teams. I think it's got to happen sooner rather than later. Tim Brando is joining us on the David Glenn show. Follow him on Twitter at Tim Brando. You mentioned the launch of the ACC network and I, you've been through a lot of this stuff. Heck you've been around since, uh, uh, the time when college football even exploded as a national TV product a long time yeah, well, ago. The CFA was formed and right? really opened the door for ESPN to do games and for college game day to be formed. And I was right in the middle of that in, in 1984, 85, when the Supreme Court ruling came down. You're right. So let me set the table and get your thoughts about whether you believe the ACC is too late to the party in a changing TV world. Because here's what folks uh, may know, but I'll just lay it out. You know, the Big Ten channel launches 12 years ago. Takes a while to get going, but now it's a huge part of why the Big Ten is the, oh, rich, the a, wealthiest. And it, and it, and it, yeah, and it's a cash cow unlike right. the other networks. So, yeah. so five years ago, the SEC launches, and right out of the gate, uh, they benefit from the passion of those fans, and, and they're the second wealthiest Power Five conference. The ACC has dropped all the way to, to fifth, and the right. ACC network is designed to at least take a bite out of the gap. Uh, right. did, did they fumble this football or, you know, in this even new world with cord cutting and cord shaving, um, can this at least be a big step in the right direction for the ACC? Oh, I, oh, I think it's the right step in the right direction. Uh, I, I, and again, I, I think they're going to be very successful. I'm, um, I'm, I'm uh, very high on the people that are running it. Um, some of the really good, young, talented people, for instance, uh, Alex Famartino, who I think could one day run a network, work, worked at Raycom Sports for 15 years. Alex was hired, and he's going to work out of Charlotte. They've got really good people. You know, Wes is going to be working with, with Mark on, a, on a, 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 I guess, a fine bomb like show that will be on in the morning. So uh, I think they'll be very successful, and I, and I think they'll make money, okay? I just They won't make the same kinds of money in profit that, uh, the Big Ten and the SEC do uh, right now, but I think over time, and you know, Rome isn't built in a day, and neither neither are viewership, neither is viewership for for niche networks. You have to develop, show them what the product is to see it grow. Uh, I think it will do well for the long haul. Okay, I, I think there will be the investment that's been made by all of these schools, and I I was able to see some of them going in last year to do some college basketball, how much of an investment the schools were actually making in lieu of the fact that 
that the uh, ACC network was about to happen. And it's costly, okay? It costs a lot of money to put that in. So there's a bit of an investment by the schools, but there's also an investment by ESPN. And at this stage, uh, ESPN can't afford to have, you know, a Longhorn Network situation pop up, okay? That, that was a $300 million mistake that, that they made. Um, but it's one that's paid pretty good dividends for the for the Longhorns. And, right. You know, to some extent, the Big 12 has rebounded and with its round-robin schedule and, and, and the success of some teams. You know, Iowa State's going to be really good this year. That, that league has bounced back and is doing very well financially. So uh, I think the ACC can as well. This was something that John Swafford had, uh, I think, really promised his presidents, and the presidents embraced the idea of doing it. Uh, outgoing president John Skipper at ESPN, a North Carolina guy, had a lot to do with it. And I, the fact that, um, that the ESPN uh, leadership decided to carry through with this long after Skipper was gone says something to me. So I think it'll do well. Look, look, cord cutting is happening. No right. doubt about it. And and viewership on cable has taken a hit. But but that isn't to say that it doesn't still play a tremendous role, particularly in startup specified audience type programming, which is what you know, the SEC network is, the Big Ten network is, and what the ACC network will be. Uh, so I, I, I think long-term success will be good uh, in terms of short-term economic uh, uh, flow. I think it will be a little bit more subtle than, than the other two that you just mentioned. But I think it will do well, and I wish them well. I do. Last thing for Tim Brando. It's always hard to quantify the passion of fan bases. But since you spent so much time in SEC country and you've lived it and you've breathed it, but you've also spent a lot of time in ACC country, I I wonder your thoughts as these ADs are basically asking their fans to call their carriers, right, demand the ACC network. Our friend Tony Barnhart was a guest not long ago, and he said, D.G., if a Big Ten fan wanted the Big Ten Network when that launched, they might place a phone call or send an email, maybe even an angry phone call. He said in the SEC, if they can't get the SEC Network, they might threaten to burn somebody's house down. <laughs> um, you know you know the ACC clearly has passion for basketball. Uh, at yep. some schools, there's an intense passion for football. But I have to imagine that whereas John Swafford says, hey, there's more TV households in the ACC footprint than any other league, there's more people in their footprint than any other league, or Power 5 league anyway, the the passion may not be exactly the same as what you've lived in the SEC country. Well, yeah, because the competition for the entertainment dollar is different in many ACC locales versus that of the I mean, um, yeah, there's some professional sports in Atlanta, and in New Orleans, but listen, that conference, the, the SEC has always been an Alabama-centric conference. And when I say that, I don't mean that there's anybody in an office that's uh, biased towards Alabama. That's not the point. And what I'm saying is that the office has always been run out of there. For years, Bear Bryant uh, would, would call up Mickey Holmes, the Sugar Bowl executive director, and pretty much roll out for him the 14 parlay that he wanted for the Bulls every year. <laughs> I mean, that's how strong uh, Alabama was and from a football standpoint for so many years, but states like Arkansas, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, uh, without uh, pro sports, you don't you don't have that uh, in the ACC. You got pro sports all around you, even in North Carolina, uh, and 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 so you've got to fight that to some extent. You know, you're in some urban areas uh, as well with regard to the ACC. Yeah. I, I think that 
asking your fans to do it is, is something that you should, uh, from a public relations standpoint, uh, do. Because programmers are always going to react. You know this. Yep. You're, in the, you're in the communications business. Yep. Somebody will come up to you and say, you know, our focus groups are telling us we need to do this or that. Well, those focus groups are who? They're, they're made up of individuals, uh, uh, fans that, that say this is what we want more of. And I, I think to tell the cable operators this is what we need. And I'm going to tell you, Dave, this is one of the reasons. I watch the Big Ten Network uh, and the SEC Network uh, religiously. Uh, and the reason I do is because if I want a content – and I and I know what I'm watching. I know it, it's it's from a the prism of those leagues, and that most of what I'm getting may be positive, not negative. But I'm preparing to do games in the Big Ten now when I'm with Fox, and I really want to catch up on what's going yep. on. So I, I'm going to watch them because if I'm watching any of the mainstream cable networks during the day, hell, I'm still hearing about uh, you know Kawhi Leonard and will it work. <laughs> And it's August, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, you know, that's where I'm going. If I'm a fan of intercollegiate athletics, I'm going to watch these niche networks because uh, I'm getting just a bunch of yelling and screaming and ranting and raving from a bunch of bloviating blowards about NBA free agency, and I don't give a damn. <laughs> so so I think that the fans of the ACC and 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 if if John and the people in the ACC office are imploring uh, the, the fan base to do that, then do it. I I believe they should because there is a passion for uh, sports in the ACC and basketball in particular. And I think football has grown. That's just they're in a bad cycle with Florida State's issues. And w- is Miami going to get back on solid footing from a football standpoint? Yeah. Uh, if if the league has a challenger or two for Clemson this year. I like what's going on at NC State, and I think Matt Brown's going to get it rolling at North Carolina. God knows I think the world of David Cutcliffe. I hope he can stay within 30 of Alabama, you know, in the opener. Right. But he's done a hell of a job at Duke. One of the great jobs of college football in the last uh, decade has been really what uh, one of them has got to be what David's done over at, uh, at uh, Wallace Wade. So, yeah, I think that they, uh, they should galvanize and do the best they can to implore those cable uh, companies to, 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 to run their product. Because if you're a fan of intercollegiate athletics in today's world, I mean, I, David, I don't know about you, but I'm watching uh, during the course of the, the summer, uh, if, if you watch baseball in prime time on one network or if you watch uh, college athletics of some sort or, or, or World Cup, if you watch these daytime shows, you think you're watching another network, not the same network that's yeah. carrying these events. Yeah. It blows my mind. Blows my mind. So if I want to get really good sports news, where am I going to get it? I'm either going to get it on the digital side at the athletic, uh, or I'm going to go from a TV standpoint, I'm going to go to the niche networks uh, that are basically uh, conference named, so named by conferences, networks to get my college football fix. Tim Brando, Fox Sports. He will be a part of our college football fix throughout the fall. Always great to hear your voice, man. Keep up the good work, and thank you for the time on the David Glenn Show. David, my pleasure, and I wish everyone the best at the ACC. And trust me when I tell you, and I want to tell the fans this, especially those who are with the ACC tournament. When Mike, Glenn, uh, when Mike Javinsky and I were doing that game, that final game, and the uh, public address announcer said what he did, and the cameras came our way, and 
about three quarters of that arena stood up and cheered yeah. for the the years of service of Raycom Sports. It was touching to us. And I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, and it was something I'll never forget. And I will always, always treasure my time in that league. And I will miss calling college basketball in what has been the greatest conference for college basketball in my lifetime, historically, uh, the ACC. So I wish you all well. I'll be watching. And when I get a chance, I'm going to come up there and just uh, be a fan and sit uh, at Cameron or sit at the Dean Dome and enjoy it uh, because I, I'm, a, I'm still a great fan of the sport and the game and of the ACC. Well put. Great, great words from a great guy, Tim Brando. Uh, here on the David Glenn Show. Follow him on Twitter, at Tim Brando. For those who don't know, the ACC has struck deals with about half of the biggest carriers out there to carry the ACC network. They are three weeks and a day away from launching. I think they're four weeks away from Clemson, Georgia Tech, exclusively on the ACC network. Virginia, another national champion in basketball. That trip to Syracuse in early November, exclusively on the ACC network. There's all sorts of special access programs, Florida State with Bobby Bowden, uh, Clemson with obviously nowadays Dabo Sweeney, Coach K, special access to Duke basketball, Roy Williams, special access to Carolina basketball. About half of the biggies have signed up, but not Comcast Xfinity, not Charter slash Spectrum, not the Dish Network, not Cox slash Contour, uh, not AT&T U-verse. Uh, maybe the other half of the biggies have signed up, including um, Hulu with live TV, Verizon Fios, DirecTV has signed up, uh, Optimum, Sudden Link, Altice, they're called, uh, also have signed a deal. So it's, it's, there's hundreds that have agreed to carry it, but there are a handful of really biggies that have not yet signed on that dotted line. We'll keep you up to date on that, just as we keep you up to date on Major League Baseball's trade deadline day. David Newton live from Panthers camp next hour. Ron Green Jr. on the Wyndham Championship and other golf later this hour. A classic sports movie challenge in about 30 minutes or so. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. We do have some movement in the Major League Baseball world with the trade deadline at this point just hours away. I'll get you that update. We are mourning the passing of NFL legend Nick Bonacani. He's actually pretty old school. When I was coming up the ranks, he was, I think, already a broadcaster. Dolphins and other fame. The Milwaukee Brewers have traded to the Tampa Bay Rays Jesus Aguilar, first baseman. The biggest names have not yet been on the move. Madison Bumgarner, uh, Zach Greinke. Uh, we know that Thor, Noah Syndergaard, is going to stay with the New York Mets. They have acquired Marcus Stroman. They have traded away Jason Vargas from their starting rotation. Trevor Bauer has moved from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Starting pitcher Yasiel Puig has moved in the other direction. Reds to Indians, the controversial but sometimes productive outfielder. We are only hours away. Of course, we won't know all the trades by the time the clock 
hits 4 p.m. But uh, it is the last day you can make a trade this year as the Dodgers, Astros, and Yankees are the top tier of contenders, I think, in my eyes and those of most baseball fans, the Red Sox, the Twins, the Braves, and maybe a handful of others have a chance to leapfrog those top tier of contenders between now and the end of the regular season. 1-800-849-2761 will be your ticket in a little bit later on the MLS expansion conversation as that all-star game is tonight in Orlando. And as contingents representing both Charlotte and Raleigh are there, meeting with the expansion committee, or at least conversing with the members of that committee, the best of the MLS against Atletico, Atletico Madrid. That's 8 o'clock tonight, TV special at, on FS1. Las Vegas, Phoenix, Raleigh, and Charlotte are viewed as, as second-tier contenders. Don't expect an announcement tonight again. The bottom line is that St. Louis and Sacramento, probably later in 2019, will have announcements in their cities that they are the next two expansion franchises. That's where the smart money is right now, St. Louis and Sacramento. Again, no announcement today, but Don Garber Im implied that those would happen. City celebrations, rather than doing it at a neutral site like Orlando, when all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted, St. Louis and Sacramento are expected to become MLS franchises number 28 and 29. A lot of people believe that Charlotte is the new front runner for number 30. And everybody I know in the soccer world believes that Raleigh is up there along with Las Vegas and Phoenix and a couple of others uh, in contention for when the MLS grows from its stated goal of 30 in the relatively near future to its likely play it, uh, ending point or uh, at least temporary pedestal, 32 teams. That's what we have in the NFL. That seems to be the right number for a lot of the biggest leagues that we follow. Could there someday be the MLS, not only in our state, but with two different franchises? I would say never say never, but I do believe that Charlotte is, has a better chance than anybody else, and at worst, as good a chance as anybody else at becoming MLS franchise number 30. David Tepper's money and David Tepper's energy and David Tepper's ready stadium in the form of Bank of, America, Bank of America Stadium has put Charlotte even above Phoenix, Las Vegas, Raleigh, Indianapolis, San Diego, and a handful of other contenders in that top 10, if you will. 1-800-849-2761. We are a state that has had the Hornets since 1988. We are a state that's had the Panthers since 1995 and the Hurricanes since 1997. So we went from the mid-'80s having no top-level pro sports teams to 2019, we have three here, NBA, NFL, and NHL. I think we have another, the MLS, on the way. I do think it's going to be a much longer wait, and I'd hate to predict how long, for Major League Baseball. But we've also been the home to NASCAR for decades. And we've also been the center of the college basketball universe for decades. And we have a great baseball culture in other ways. And we have built a great golf culture. Sometimes we even get to host a major, Pinehurst or otherwise. And every year nowadays, we have the Wells Fargo Championship in Charlotte. And we have the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro. That latter event begins competitive play tomorrow. There have been all sorts of cool events leading up to that, including today. Ron Green Jr. covers golf for the Global Golf Post, longtime golf writer for the Charlotte Observer. We'll talk about Jordan Spieth and Webb Simpson and Patrick Reed and the other big names nationally and internationally who will be right here in our backyard. They're already here, but competitive play starting tomorrow. 
Brant Snedeker shot a 59-5-9 last year at the Wyndham. He, of course, is back as one of the defending champions. We'll talk about the unique place that the Wyndham now has in the new golf calendar. All four major championships are already in the books. The FedEx Cup playoff is not yet here. And here's the Wyndham at Sedgefield in Greensboro, kind of right in between. Some of the bigger names said they're worn out from international travel and week-to-week PGA-level golf, and they're skipping Greensboro. Others, including those I mentioned, have found a place on their schedule in part because the Wyndham Rewards is a $10 million pool of bonus money for those who finish in the top 10 of those Wyndham Rewards standings. It's a good idea. It's expected to deliver even better fields in future years. Ron Green Jr. on all things golf on the other side. David Newton in 60 minutes live from Spartanburg on all things NFL. We'll have a classic sports movie challenge in about 20 minutes, and we'll have your phone calls in between. Ron Green Jr. on golf next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest has covered the golf world for as long as I have followed the golf world. Formerly of the Charlotte Observer and others, now with the Global Golf Post, the Wyndham Championship, one of our two annual PGA Tour stops here in North Carolina on that tour, is getting underway in terms of competitive play tomorrow. Jordan Spieth was a last-minute addition. Brent Snedeker is back to defend his title. In-state favorites, including Harold Varner of the Harold Varner III of ECU, Davis Love III of UNC, Webb Simpson, of course, is claimed by Wake Forest and the city of Charlotte and the city of Raleigh. A lot worth watching as we welcome in Ron Green Jr. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Hope you are. I'm doing great. When you think before we get to the Wyndham stuff. Biggest sports stories in golf in the 2019 calendar year with this new schedule. So we have all four majors behind us here on July 31st. Is it Tiger finally getting to major number 15 and then a large drop to everything else? And if that is your first answer, you know, what do you expect from Tiger Woods now that he's in his early 40s, but uh, kind of has shown us a mixed bag on what to expect even on major weekends? Yeah, I think him winning the Masters is the biggest event of the year. I mean, arguably in sports this year, yep. uh, just because of what he had been through, the whole arc of his sort of personal storyline. And, you know, it's funny, on the Golf Channel the other night, they ran the highlights from the t- this year's Masters. So, I, of course, sat down and started watching it. And you go back and look at the leaderboard and how that tournament played out. I mean, it was almost as if as if everybody was up there from Dustin Johnson, Adam Scott, Brooks kept them all in and all that stuff. I mean, and Tiger is the guy who walks away wearing the jacket and the biggest smile we've ever seen from him. So yeah, it was it was such an emotional thing on multiple levels, just for the moment and for uh, the career. And obviously, since then, he's not been the same player, hasn't played the same way. Uh, he officially committed today to play next week in the Northern Trust. He's been talking about you know the playoffs and wanting to be part of that whole thing and. So there was some speculation after Portrush at the Open Championship. You know, he just hasn't looked very sharp. You wondered maybe he didn't wasn't feeling well. Maybe he'd skipped the first event. But he's he's played at Liberty National, so that's a very encouraging sign. I don't know what to expect. I, I, I've been a little surprised that he hasn't been more uh, competitive in the tournaments he's played. 
he hadn't played that many. What is it, 12 rounds or something? Maybe 16 rounds since the uh, win at the Masters. And it's just he just hasn't looked like quite the same player. And it was interesting, uh, and I guess it was at Fort Rush that he said, uh, I'm at my age, I, ha- I know that I can still win golf tournaments. He said, I will win more golf tournaments. But I also know there are weeks where I'm just not going to have it. It's not going to be there. And that's something we would never have heard from the younger Tiger 10, 12 years ago. But it's, you know, sort of the understanding of where he is physically and what he's up against. I mean, my guess is ultimately we will never know how big a challenge this is, what he's doing with with the conditions of his back and all that. But, man, that, that April moment just still glows like nothing else. Ron Green Jr. is joining us. Follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Green Jr. for Jr. Of course, at at Ron Green Jr. The Wyndham Championship here has had big name winners, right? Patrick Reed not too many years ago. Sergio Garcia won it one year. Webb Simpson has won here. Davis Love the third has won here. Henrik Stenson two years ago. Uh, Brant Snedeker for the second time just last year. And if you go all the way back, you know, there were plenty of really big names from previous generations as well. How do you describe its current place on the golf calendar? Because they're trying this Wyndham Rewards thing to attract you know, that $10 million bonus money pool to try to get more guys here. But after all that's happened and all the international travel and and week-to-week PGA-level golf, and the FedEx Cup playoff is not here yet, it feels like a good field but not a great field. And some are saying that, you know, it's the first time that it's been this place on the calendar, and uh, this is just sort of part of that transition period. Well, I think uh, they've done a great job sort of reinventing this tournament that was literally days away from expiring whatever 10 years or so ago till Bobby Long and the others came to its rescue. Uh, it, like a lot of things, this whole schedule, of, I mean, here we are knowing we're four weeks from the golf season effectively being over here. They'll yeah. keep playing tournaments, but not the same. And I think players have really struggled at times to adjust to the schedule, figure out you know, Jordan Spieth thinking about he's trying to play his way into the finals at Eastlake, which would mean six weeks in a row, which he would never do otherwise. But uh, given the state of his game and Paul Casey, the same way, six weeks in a row, uh, given you had the Open Championship, you had the WGC in Memphis, and then three weeks after this with the playoffs, it's understandable a lot of guys were going to take a break somewhere. You would have thought that the $10 million bonus money with $2 million going to the first place guy might attract more players. I think probably I'm sure they're disappointed. They didn't get more than yeah. one guy in the top 10, but I mean, the Brooks Kepka's already clinched it. I mean, the, even if Paul Casey, who's number eight wins, I think he can only go to fourth in this. Now, granted that's a half a million dollars difference, which is not peanuts to most of us. Right. But I think it, in some ways it speaks to the money that's available to these guys. It speaks to the length of the season and how much they've played now. And, and I, it, Brant Snedeker's made a point, and I agree with him, that like the FedEx Cup playoffs when they began the first year, players weren't quite sure what it was, what it meant, how it was going to affect the way they looked at things. And gradually, it's like, hey, this is a big deal. I need to pay more attention to it. I think that might happen here. Next year, there will be an open week before this tournament. Now, the top top guys will be in the Olympics in Japan, but I think it will open it up for a lot more players I mean, there will only be 60 guys from around the world in the Olympics. So guys can then look at it as almost like the four-week playoff run, run they had before they reduced the playoffs to three events this year. 
So I think it'll help them a little bit next year. It just takes them getting used to. We all know to watch Jordan Spieth, who crashed upon the scene as one of the most prominent up-and-coming golfers we've seen in quite some time. Who would you add to the list? I don't know if you have the full list of tee times you know, in front of you. Uh, we know, you mentioned Paul Casey is here. Hideki Matsuyama is here. Uh, obviously, the, the locals, Webb Simpson, Harold Varner, Davis Love, et cetera, are all here. We've had some first-time winners on the PGA Tour. I know Bill Haas would be another local who's here. Lucas Glover, sort of a local. Who, who else would you circle for those who are going to make their way to Sedgefield at some point over these next four days? Well, I think I start with Webb Simpson. I think this is just perfect place for Webb, and he's playing really well. Played great the final round in Memphis the other day, having a really, really good season. I, I think... He's a guy, if you were, you know, when the PGA Tour gets officially into the gambling business, he's a guy who'd get a lot of attention this week. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one guy who's very interesting, um, he was in here talking to us today, Colin Marikawa, who people don't know a lot about. I mean, he just finished at Cal Berkeley after four years back in the spring. He's played six PGA Tour events. He's finished in the top ten three times and won last week the Barracuda Championship. He's part of this between Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf, who came out of Oklahoma State. Right. They're part of this new generation that suddenly made the Jordan Spees and Justin Thomases look like a generation, you know, ahead of them. So they come out with no fear. They, I asked Paul Casey today, I said, these guys have played a handful of tournaments, and unlike what it used to be when you had to kind of learn your way, how to win and all this stuff, Wolf's won, Mark Hollis won. What is it about them that's maybe different? He goes, I don't know what it is, but there's something different. He says, it's going to take some time to figure it out. You know, they all do it their own unique ways, Wolf in particular. As a golf swing, you wouldn't try to copy, but right. you sure would like to uh, uh, have <laughs> the results. account. So, you know, I, I think those guys give uh, – uh, there would be a lot of fun to watch those guys here. Uh, you know, then, you know, Snedeker. Some guys just play this place well. And, and it's interesting that Jordan Spieth, he added this on Friday afternoon last week that had been thinking about right. and the more once he committed said the more i thought about it, the happier i was i was coming here you know what was it six years ago he and patrick reed in a playoff here who who knew then that that playoff was going to you know foretell the careers yeah. they've had and now here we are where jordan hadn't won since the 2017 open and patrick hadn't won since he won the masters whatever 16 months ago so uh both of them could stand a to win a tournament, although yeah. I don't know if either one's game is quite where they need it to be right now. Well put. Ron Green Jr., Global Golf Post on Twitter, at Ron Green Jr. Thank you, as always, for your time on the David Glenn Show. I hope you enjoy your time here in the triad area. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. You got it. David Newton, live from Spartanburg, South Carolina, on all things NFL and Carolina Panthers. That's in about 45 minutes. We have a classic sports movie challenge. It is the last day of July, so your options to win are now limited. That'll come at you in about 10 minutes. Your phone calls in between on the NFL, NBA, MLS, MLB, and other headlines of the day. We're glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. ESPN's David Newton live from Panthers camp in about 40 minutes. Another classic sports movie challenge on the other side. It was Bull Durham yesterday. What will it be today? Find out next. <laughs> 